Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our city campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. We are in week three of a series uh, doing a character study on the person of David, the great uh, personality, the great king uh, of the Old Testament. Over the last two weeks, we've firstly looked at David as a young shepherd boy being anointed uh, to be king by Samuel. You know, number eight in line of the sons, yet he was the one that was anointed. He was the one that was chosen. And then last week, Eleanor uh, uh, preached on uh, the story of David and Goliath. If you remember, David, this young boy, a uh, young man growing into adulthood, but with a, a sling and a stone, conquers a 10-foot giant by the name of Goliath, this courageous warrior. And this morning, we're going to continue our look at David, but this time, we're going to look at a very different aspect of who David is, who David was. David was also a poet. He was a songwriter. He was a musician. I mean, he had everything. He was like the Hugh Jackman of the ancient world. Not only was he Wolverine, but he could also sing and dance. That's who we're looking at today. And uh, David was uh, prolific in his songwriting. Uh, He wrote, uh, at least that we know of, there, there could have been a few more, but at least 73 of the songs that we find in the Psalms, which is... The, the songbook for the people of Israel. Uh, the, the, these psalms were, were written, and, and the, the, the beauty of these songs, as we know which songs often are, they're written out of the seasons of life. And David wrote prolifically these songs as he expressed his emotions and his heart and his experiences, processing all that he was, all that he was walking through, his faith and how he saw God. And he poured out his heart into songs. And you would have received, uh, as, as I pointed out at the beginning of the service, if uh, you missed it before, where you should have received this, just this simple liturgy, a liturgy of psalms, a way of understanding the psalms. And I encourage you to hold on to this. This is going to kind of provide the map for our service today. But it also can be a map for your worship. Stick it on your fridge, put it on your desk, use it for your quiet times. For me, the Psalms are incredibly rich. I sit in a Psalm every day. Why? Because they minister to my heart in a unique way. Because they speak about the reality of life. And the first type of song, and this, these, these categories that come from an Old Testament theologian called Walter Brueggemann, these are not my ideas, this is from from him as he kind of shapes songs of or psalms of orientation, psalms of disorientation, and psalms of new orientation. And we've already spent time this morning, if you got here on time as we worshipped, we've been singing songs of orientation. You know, songs of the declaration of who God is, a declaration of his might and his power. These are songs of joy in who God is and our place in creation. And I've even felt it this morning. You know, we sing these songs and they lift our heart. 
They lift our eyes. They lift our spirits. These are songs written in times where everything is the way that it should be. You know those moments, those feelings, when you are driving down the highway on the way to your holidays and you've got your favourite song on? You know that feeling, that emotion? Or after spending a great evening, a great dinner with friends, or looking out onto a beautiful landscape or piece of art, or looking at your child sleeping. It's usually when they're sleeping and no other time. Um, When you reflect on one of your life's victories, or when you're at a music concert and you get that wonderful sense of the transcendent, or you're listening to your favorite song and you know you feel the presence of God, the transcendence, the lightness, the power, the joy that comes from feeling this is what life is all about. This is how life was designed to be. This is about a God of glory. You know, I had one of those, uh, those moments. Uh, as you know, most of you know, I was on long service leave for uh, two and a half months uh, last term. And uh, we uh, drove halfway around Australia and we got to see some wonderful things. Some beautiful colours, you know, particularly going into the outback. You just saw some beautiful uh, vistas, beautiful landscapes. And there was one moment... Uh, where we were uh, out in the, fur- the furthest west and the closest we got to the absolute centre of Australia. And um, we'd gone through Alice Springs and gone right to the end of the West McDonald Ranges, if you've ever been out there, and we'd camped out right at the end of the West McDonald Ranges for the night, heading out towards central Australia. And, I, and early the next morning, we camped there the night, I woke the kids up before sunlight. And we got them in the car, we packed some breakfast, and we drove for an hour, an hour and a half on dusty, bumpy, outback roads um, uh, to this hill, this mountain called Hastings Bluff. And the reason that I wanted to get there for sunrise, as you'll see in this photo, is because earlier this year, the indigenous leaders of of that area had decided to put a massive cross pretty much right in the middle of Australia. And so there we did, there's, there we are, we're parked underneath that mountain with this huge cross at sunrise. We enjoyed our breakfast. And I, I, I took that photo and I went for a walk around. You can see Mount Zeal there in the background as well. And it was just a beautiful moment. It was a moment of worship. It was one of those moments where this is what life is all about. Everything as it should be, enjoying God's creation, celebrating who he is and what he has made, his power and his might in the middle of nowhere. My heart was stirred to worship. And we drove back and we were singing songs in the car. It was just one of those moments. These are times for songs of worship, signs of orient- songs of orientations, which we sang already this morning. And David would have had these moments. You can imagine him sitting out in the fields. You can imagine him looking out over a sunrise or a sunset. 
And as he sat there, he's been anointed as king and his heart is filled with joy of all that is to come. And you can imagine him penning and writing down songs of orientation. How good it is, God, you are so wonderful. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens through the praise of children and infants. You've established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is all your name in all the earth. You can imagine him writing that there or, or this one, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded on the, founded on the seas and established it on the waters. Lift up you heads, you, you gates, be lifted up, you ancient doors that the king of glory may come in. These are songs, famous words of David, songs of orientation. This is how the world is and how it should be under God. Why, why are these songs important? Why are these psalms important? Well, they're a reminder of grace. You know, when we sing these songs of orientation, they remind us of grace. They remind us of who God is but they also remind us that there is purpose over meaninglessness in a world where we are filled with meaninglessness songs of orientation speak over us they say that there is a god who created us and that we have intrinsic value they are a reminder that we are made in the image of god walter brueggemann says it this way the function of this kind of psalm is theological, that is, to praise and thank God. But such a psalm also has a social function of importance. It is to articulate and maintain a sacred canopy under which the community of faith, that is us, can live out its life with freedom from anxiety. That is, life is not simply a task to be achieved, an endless construction of a viable world made by effort and human ingenuity. There is a givenness to be relied on, guaranteed by none other than God. Songs of orientation, songs of worship, songs that orient our lives underneath a God who has purpose for us. That's why we worship. That's why we sang when we came here this morning, to orient our lives around who God is and who we are. But there is also other parts of life, and life isn't always about roses and driving down the highway on holidays. Reality does tend to hit us. And David writes these psalms of disorientation, songs of turmoil, lament, and loss. You know, we were driving back from being at Hastings Bluff, or Memory Mountain as they, they call it now, and uh, we, we got back, we picked up the caravan, and we started driving back down the highway, and then disaster struck. And I've got a photo here. It wasn't really that terrible. We just got a flat tire, which, you know, is, it, 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 oh, it's not too bad, except this, this did hurt. I'm going to be honest with you for a moment. Megan looks at me, and she goes, oh, no. Oh, Andrew, are we going to have to call a mechanic? like, are you kidding me? Who do you take me for? What? It, it was, it was, I said, Megan, go for a walk. 
go, take, take the girls and leave, Jacob and I will sort this out. No, we don't need a mechanic. I can change a tire. Fair dinkum. So Jacob and I got to work and we managed to fix the tire. You know, the reality is, is that life isn't all roses and happy and skipping through fields of joy. We all experience moments of sorrow, grief, loss, disappointment. And these are due to circumstances out of our control and circumstances because of our own sin. But talking about lament and loss and grief and disappointment and pain is, is not easy and we, we seek to push it aside, we seek to ignore it. We certainly do that within our context, within our society and our culture, don't we? So we don't want to talk about the hard stuff, we don't want to acknowledge the pain that we've walked through or the, the realities of our own brokenness or sin. And so what do we do? Well, we numb the pain, we, we distract ourselves, we do other things so that we don't have to confront and deal with the reality of our own grief and loss. But it's not just in our, our culture, it's, it's in the church as well, right? We've somehow taken on this modern view that, that to, to walk through pain and, and suffering is somehow spiritually bad. That if, if things are difficult, then obviously something is wrong with you. If you're walking through doubt, then you don't have enough faith. And so we push away these questions, these laments, this acknowledgement of pain. It's really interesting as, as I was looking for songs of lament through our own hymn books. You know, the, the list of songs throughout the last 40 years that we sing our hymnal as a church. And I don't mean just Gateway City, I mean generally within our modern evangelical world. I could barely find any songs of lament. We don't like to sing songs of lament. But songs of lament, psalms of lament, psalms which stare full on, straightforward at our pain and our brokenness and our disappointment are a gift. I found this quote, I don't even know who to attribute it to because there was no name, but I just thought it was really helpful, speaking about the gift of song in lament. Music tethers us to a place of security. It allows us to tap into our deepest emotions, helping us discover those emotions, giving us a safe space from which to process our emotions and tame the overwhelming. Music is a tool to navigate grief while we consciously influence, direct, and channel raw emotions that we may not otherwise know what to do with. Using music to create your story, you can redefine your relationship with grief and even transform it into a thing of beauty. That's what the great songwriters do. <laughs> Just listen to Adele. She knows how to channel her pain. Writes bangers as a result of it. You know, Adele understood lament, understands lament. And David understood lament. You know, David moved on from being that nice ruddy boy who killed a giant. And he walked through significant seasons of pain. He was attacked by Saul on numerous occasions both in the court and also as David ran into the desert and ran for his life for many, many years as Saul hunted him down, trying to kill him. He watched the decline of Israel under the reign of Saul. 
He experienced pain and loss as his friends abandoned him and turned on him. He was captured by the enemy and he was betrayed by his son, Absalom. David knew what it meant to walk through deep pain and disappointment through his circumstances and through his own sin. And you're going to hear a little bit more about that next week. David contributed to his own pain just as we contribute to our own pain and our own sin. But David had a way of turning that pain, that grief and that sorrow into lament, into song. There's this one circumstance, that we can, you can read it in 1 Samuel chapter 30, where he's with a band of, of his soldiers and he's still running from Saul, but he goes to help another army and he leaves his children, his wives and, and all his livestock and stuff in one spot and he goes out to fight, but when he comes back, another army has come through and taken all their family and all their stuff. And they come back and they are just mortified with grief and with sorrow. And we read this in 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. And I love this line. But David found strength in the Lord his God. And you can read it as this beautiful passage from Psalm 51 to 60 where, where the title is David when he dot 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 and then it's the song of lament. In Psalm 63, a psalm of David when he was in the desert of Judah, he writes, You God are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. And time and time and time again, David would cry out in lament. He would say, where are you, God? How could you, God? Why are you doing this, God? He would look at God fair in the eye and say, this is not fair. This isn't right. I don't understand what's going on, but it's unjust. Help me, Lord. I am bitter in pain. I cannot sleep. My tears fill my bed at night, they are songs of lament, railing against injustice and in pain. Walter Brueggemann says this, the Psalms are profoundly subversive of the dominant culture. This is a cry against that which is, which wants to deny and cover over the darkness we are called to enter. Personally, we shun negati negativity. Publicly, we deny the failure of our attempts to exercise control. But through its propaganda and the ideology of consumerism, our society goes its way in pretense. Against all of this, the Psalms issue a mighty protest and invite us into a more honest facing of the darkness. I want to ask you right now, what darkness are you facing What disappointments, what pain, what sorrow, what discouragement, what questions, what doubt, what darkness are you confronted with right now? Are you shunning it? Are you putting it aside? Are you ignoring it? Are you burying it deep somewhere, hoping that it will just go away? See, songs of lament 
songs of pain, songs of raw honesty, give us voice. Give pain voice so it may be outworked, so it may be let go of. And David didn't just do this. Jesus did this. Profoundly, the God who stepped down from heaven to earth, the transcendent God, became the imminent God. He walked the earth and experienced everything that we experience and more. To the point where he found himself unjustly accused. And he walked up a hill and on a cross, like the one I looked at, at the middle of Australia, he naked, hung, beaten, bleeding, abused. The God of the universe hung on a cross for you and for me. And what did he say? As he hung on the cross, he grabbed hold of the words of David. He grabbed hold of the words of Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night, but I find no rest. Jesus sang songs of lament. Let me encourage you right now to sit perhaps in an uncomfortable place. And Hannah is going to sing a song, a song of lament probably don't know it but just allow the words to sit over you and allow the words just to soak deep into your heart and go there allow the disappointment and the pain to work its way out and allow God to minister to you Scriptures say that God carries our tears in a bottle. God, I pray that you will carry us, that you will help us. The grief and the pain that is actually so close to the surface, that you'll teach us to turn our sorrow into song. And for those, Lord, here right now, where grief overwhelms, God, may you bring comfort. God of all comfort. Come. Come and bring hope. Hold us, carry us, in Jesus' name, amen.
one of the powerful things about David's laments is almost always there is a final turn. Despite the pain, there is still I will sing to you. Still I will worship you. And it's a prophetic statement, a statement of hope of what is yet to come. Because lament, disorientation, praise the Lord, is not the end of the story. And David finds, and we read through the Psalms, that there are Psalms of orientation, there are Psalms of disorientation, but there are also Psalms of new orientation or reorientation where there is a change, there's an unexpected change, there is transformation, something new has happened and it brings life and energy and hope and ultimately celebration and joy. Now, I I love cricket. I think a whole bunch of you know that. And uh, the last month or so has been wonderful because it's been the World Cup. And uh, I've spent many an evening watching the cricket And uh, about a week ago, Australia played Afghanistan, and there was a resurrection moment. You know, Glenn Maxwell came, it was 7 for 91, and they still needed another 200 runs. And Glenn Maxwell, having full body spasms, hit 200 runs on no legs and won the game. It was kind of like this amazing moment. Any, anyone, anyone follow that? Does anyone care? There you go. There's a, there's a few people this actually matters to. Now, I'm a little bit sad that I went to bed and missed the whole thing. But I, did, I do remember a time where, where there was this resurrection moment uh, in a cricket match. I was actually at the Gabba a number of years ago watching Australia play England, the old foe, and we were done for. And then James Faulkner came in. There was one wicket to go. We needed 70 runs, and he blasted it and, and won the game in the last over. I was in the stands. Half, of, half the people had gone. And, uh, and, and he hit. I remember when he hit that four to win the game and just just squash England just a little bit more. And, uh, and, and we just went crazy. I mean, the noise at the Gabba in the stadium was just massive. We erupted. There was jumping around. There was dancing. There was shouting. And I was hugging men that I didn't even know. It was like I was behaving like no grown man should. But that's what happens. That's what happens when we experience euphoria, right? When something happens that's unexpected, when all seems lost, where there is no hope, and then, you know, beyond, out of nowhere, something radically changes and the story gets turned on its head. You know, there was a moment in David's life where he experienced great euphoria and he did something that grown men don't normally do. I want to read a story from 2 Samuel chapter 6. And it goes like this. This is the story. Now, uh, King David was told the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went up to the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. Now, you've got to understand, the ark of the covenant had been with the Philistines. It had been stolen. The presence of God had gone. You know, this is David, a man after God's own heart who longed for the presence of God, yet the Ark of the Covenant, which, which held the presence of God for the people of Israel, was not there. 
There was great torment and pain and disappointment. But David heard, we can do this. We can bring the Ark of the Covenant back in. So David goes out with rejoicing. When those who were carrying the Ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. I mean, that's a lot of meat. I don't know what happened, but that, that was part of their worship. But this is extravagant worship. Then, we, went, we read this, wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might, while he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. Let's skip through to verse 20. When David returned home to bless his household, Michael, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him. You know how, how it works. And said, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked in full view of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. And Michael, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. We see here this euphoria David can't help himself. He goes out leaping and dancing with just in his underwear, not even his underwear, just you know, like a, a butt flap. And he's kind of like running around in his ephod, just so consumed, so consumed with the story, with the narrative that the presence of God is coming back into Israel. There is a song in his heart. There is a rejoicing in his body and he can't keep it in. You know, in this passage, I think there's a, a warning and an encouragement for us. Firstly, the warning, and I think it's obvious. We see here David's wife, Michael, the daughter of Saul. You know, she has this posture of cynicism and sarcasm. She is critical. She watches that worship, this wild, extravagant worship, and judges it with criticism. You know, cynicism stops us from worship. Cynicism stops us from singing good. Cynicism crushes life. Now, I reckon we can become cynical through the experiences of life, and through the things that we go through, we can become cynical. Whether it's shame, whether it's sin, whether it's self-focus, whether it's innocent situations, whether it's the world around us, our skepticism, whatever it is, so easily cynicism and sarcasm can enter into our hearts. And we can look on at others who may be those happy, clappy people who raise their hands and we can judge. Cynicism never, ever, ever brings life. It only crushes the spirit. I wonder whether you, as you walk into church on a Sunday, have become cynical in worship. You become a little bit critical in worship. It will never bring you 
life. That's the warning. But there's also an encouragement. There's an exhortation. See, when we do worship, it does bring life. And we are called to worship with all our might, perhaps not in our underwear here at church, but we are called to worship with all our might, with all our passion when we come to church. We believe that God is a God who has redeemed us. There is a God who has saved us. We get to worship with all our might. We worship like we believe it. Worship until you believe it. And David sang these songs of new orientation. You can see, even as he would have made his way into the temple, if things had been lost, he'd walked through pain and struggle and trial, but now he had a new story in his heart. He had a new narrative in his heart. He had a new faith in his heart because there is a God who restores. There is a God who redeems. And these songs of new orientation, these songs of reorientation are songs of life. They declare who God is, the God who has restored us. And there's a song I reckon that would have come out of this moment that David wrote in Psalm 30, which is a, a song of the de- a, a song or a psalm of the dedication of the temple. And he pours out his heart in this new way. He says, I will exalt you, Lord, for you lifted me out of the depths. You did not let my enemies gloat over me. Lord, my God, I called to you for help and you healed me. You, Lord, brought me up from the realm of the dead. You spared me from going down to the pit. Verse 6, when I felt secure, I said, I will never be shaken. Lord, when you favored me, you made my royal mountain stand firm. But when I hid, your face was dismayed. Verse 11, you turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy, that my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. I will not be silent. You have changed my story. You have redeemed my life. You have set me free. Lord, my God, I will praise you forever. And that's the invitation. We are part of a new story and we are called to sing like we believe it or sing until you believe it. That's the beauty of worship because it forms us and it shapes us and orients us and ultimately sets us in this new story that we are redeemed It's a declaration of the story that we are part of. See, worship sets us free. Sets us free from cynicism. It sets us free from all the junk that's put into our heart during the week, during the day. As we go about our day, we are receiving messages all of the time about who we are and the way that we should live and the failure that we are and the faults that we are. And we've got an enemy who is just seeking to curse us all the time. But when we come to worship, we remind ourselves of who we are and what God has done for us. And that sets us free. Sets us free. And ultimately our song, our hope is anchored in the good news of Jesus because Jesus did not stay on the cross. Jesus did not just singing a sea, uh, stay on the cross singing a song of lament. Jesus rose again. He defeated sin and death. And the gospel is ultimately a song of new orientation. It's a song of declaration of who God is, His greatness, His majesty, His power. He has defeated sin and death in order that we may too walk without death in our heart, 
death in our life. It's a song. It's a new song of redemption, a song of hope, a song of life. And we are invited to sing the song of the redeemed. We sing a song of new life, new hope, a song of resurrection. Come on, why don't we stand? And I think we need to sing. Let's sing a song of the people who are redeemed, who are saved. Let's find it in our hearts. Let's sing it like we believe it or sing it until we believe it. Let's declare who God is. Worship Him. Declare Him. Proclaim it over your life. Proclaim it over your family. Come on, let's sing. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If we can pray for you or you would like to take further step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to connect with you. Please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au and click on Get Connected to let us know.